Hello, folks, and welcome to Culture Dumps. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'm here with Parks Miller. Uh, we're both a little, a little uh, vocally impaired this episode. Yeah, but we're not, we're not feeling the best. But we're still bringing you the dumps you crave. The- <laughs> Ryan, it sounds like you were, um, you were out in the outback. I know. I was, dude. I was gonna say that. Yeah, it's kind of perfect. Yeah. Oh, I kind of was. Uh, I was in Palm Springs, which is exactly the same as the as the outback. <laughs> but, it's the uh, outback of California. But yeah. Influencers instead of kangaroos. I breathed in so much dust uh, and also a lot of dirt. <laughs> if you get my uh, drift there. But um, no, my my throat is fucked absolutely from being in the desert. Uh, in a in a dust storm and like not having the brains to go inside like hey maybe yeah m- maybe don't stand out here um uh, and like smoke joints while sand is literally blowing in your face but i did and here we are yeah uh it's also been a while we we for the first time i think in dumps history we we skipped a week it's or been so a while. i think i think yeah. that's about right we, we put out bonus episodes the- but like to just not have anything <laughs> But uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps, we didn't miss it there because mm-hmm. uh, folks pay for that shit and we don't want them to uh, to be forgotten about. And yeah, you'll, you can hear all about why my voice sounds like this on uh, this week's Ryan's report that I've yet to record, but that will be out soon. Also, Parks, <laughs> you, you started your own. <laughs> that I've yet to record. Well, like because, you know, I, it's, it's I, coming do it, soon. I try to do it on Fridays. Yes. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Fridays is, is yeah. the day. But uh, you have a new Patreon show, too. Yes, I do. I have a, a new show called WDUMB. Yeah. Round Note Radio. <laughs> and uh, it's a uh, it's basically sort of like, yeah, like a radio show. Cause, and I get to I, I focus a we, we talk about a lot of music throughout culture dumps and we do little snippets but this is i'll play closer to the whole song sometimes i cut it off if i'm feeling bored by the song but i try to focus it more as like a radio hour and have some sort of theme that would relate to culture dumps but something that you could theoretically listen to as like a radio show and um i did one uh, a couple weeks ago and that's just kind of the intro kind of was winging it very some of the classic dumps, a lot of stuff from previous episodes. And then I've got one coming out very soon, uh, just about new metal, um, because it's funny to me that we haven't done new metal. Um, I think in part because we did Woodstock 99 and there was so much new metal involved in it. Yeah. So it almost like new metal is such a dump. But then at the same time, it's kind of had a weird renaissance oh, dude, in the last sure. couple of years. So it's like maybe you could almost say new metal has been twice a dump because right. now I feel like it's Once, fading twice, back three dumps, a three times a dump. So I just so I'll just. Yeah, I mean, also kind of sometimes the Patreon is something that is a little more wing in it. But I did I did put a lot of effort into my new metal playlist and got into some deep, deep crevices and some yeah. songs that I don't think you've ever heard before because there was a couple songs I had never fucking heard before. So anyway, yeah. that's just part of the Patreon, baby. Yeah, patreon.com slash culture dumps. All right. So today, um, this is 
this is like one of those dumps where like people are going to be like, oh, come on, man. But like, again, <laughs> not every topic is us making fun. You know, while there are mm-hmm. jokes, sometimes it comes from a place of love. And that is certainly the dump today. We're talking about Steve Irwin, a.k.a. the Crocodile Hunter. In my life dealing with wildlife, I've been gored, clawed, chomped, bitten, savaged, jumped on, whacked, peed on, even groped. And every single time it's been my fault. If I get bitten, I've made the mistake. I knew what I was up against when I went in on that animal. Oh, yeah. This guy... Well, let's just get into it. Why is Steve Irwin a dump? Well, Steve Irwin is a dump because he was an absolute phenomenon that seemed to have come out of nowhere. There have been many celebrity animal handlers before him, but none were as fearless, hands-on, or sincere as Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin was one of the most honorable and respectable celebrities that has ever existed, and since his passing, we have not seen anyone that comes close to him. The way we as a society consume nature documentaries was shaped by his bravery and bubbly personality. And after the loss of Steve Irwin, the world of nature documentaries changed completely. He was a daredevil with a heart of gold that died doing what he loved from a cause that no one could have predicted. He also had a heart full of stingray barb. Uh, oh, which is, uh, my, but we're not making jokes. <laughs> but that, that, that's the, that's the, the hot take there. Now, um, Steve Irwin's show, it was like yeah. I watched so much of that when I was a kid. And over the last like week or so, I watched so much. It's like there's tons and tons and tons of this stuff on YouTube. Very nostalgic. Um, Very nostalgic. But it's like if Planet Earth, like the ser- the BBC series, had a baby with the classic <laughs> Australian cult horror film Wake and Fright, where it's yes. like it's like really good nature stuff the animals are there the content's there but it's in a way that only like a very kooky australian could do it yeah and i mean part of this dump is going to go into just in general sort of um because part of it is that steve Irwin was so massively successful in the united states yeah um so there has always been sort of this um fascination the u.s has had with australians yeah um, crocodile dundee outback you know, steakhouse fosters yeah but literally because it can go as as simple as just hey skew it on the or shrimp on the bobby or whatever <laughs> fucking blew and uh <laughs> i blew it i was thinking if there's an outcast song called uh. <laughs> skew it on the barbie um but uh and even one of his interviews with like larry king or something He's like, hey, will you just say, you know, oh, shrimp, shrimp on, on the Barbie? Barbie? He's like, we and actually call like, them prawns, mate. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, because he's he's he brings the knowledge. He brings the knowledge for sure. Um, but, yeah, there's just always kind of been this funny sort of like extremely baseline ignorant sort of like, hey, like you're Australian kangaroos, Bob, you know, that kind of like really ba- yeah, like just beer. funny shit. Um, the well, Fosters. Yeah, the, I think I think it's it was like yeah. famously founded by outlaws. You know, like Australia. You know, right. that's where they like other countries would ship their prisoners, and it became it was like it, it was essentially like like the Wild West. You know what I mean? And like that kind. Right. Like now, I mean, it's like you know, it's like one of the most civilized fucking nations in the fucking world, but it's still looked at as like, oh, you crazy fucking crushing some tins, right. mate. I think I think like um maybe as you know the 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 american like white guy is kind of like 
kind of like, damn, I thought we were the craziest white guys on the planet. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, damn, man. Like those Australians, like, right. They really know how to get down because they're like getting drunk and they're dealing with these wild animals, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fucking crazy. But yes, essentially, we do love Steve Irwin. File this one with like Iz and Martha Wash and even Tanya Harding. Um, mm-hmm. So, humble beginnings. Stephen Robert Irwin was born February 22nd, 1962 in Essendon. More exactly, Upper Fern Tree Gully in Victoria, Australia. Which is, which is, Almost Fern Gully. Which is almost Fern Gully. This guy is a nature guy. He's an animal guy. Um, And he he was actually born on his mother's birthday, which, like, Mm -hmm. you know, what a great birthday gift, Mom. Like, I'm going to fucking tear you apart, (laughs) like, on my way out. But now we have this day to share. (laughs) Well, I'm sure she was very happy. And as we're going to learn, they were quite an ideally loving family. Yes. They fucking loved each other. Yeah, there's very, there, there's really not, I mean, obviously there's negative stuff in the sense that there's a sad ending to all this, but like overall, it's very wholesome. So in order to understand Steve Irwin, you must first understand, at least in a small capacity, the Australian landscape. Australia is home to the highest number of venomous animals on the planet, and it's also home to the most secluded city on the planet. That'd be Perth, and uh, thank you to our friend Claire for your input on this subject. Uh, She gave me a unique perspective on what Steve Irwin meant to Australians, because, of course, in America, we loved him so much. So it was once the world's largest safe haven for criminals, and it is a vastly desolate, unforgiving continent that spares no one. This beautiful and barbaric landscape is the setting of the origin tale of one Steve Irwin. Now, from my understanding, uh, in Australia, yeah, he's like a fucking national treasure. But then mm-hmm. once he died, everyone was like, we don't care about your kids. Like, like, like you, mm-hmm. like everyone that comes over here now from another country wants to do Steve Irwin impressions for us. And like, we're done with that. Mm-hmm. Like without him being alive, we don't want to hear it anymore. It was kind yeah. of the thing. But he, and, but he also had controversy as an Australian because some Australians felt he's portraying a lot of negative stereotypes, which is funny because he's just really enthusiastic. Yeah. But in reality... All his whole thing is just promoting nature, and he just had this incredible lust for life. But he's not really promoting, you know, bad habits per no, se. No, he's not like promoting that. a. Ne- but he was just so exuberant and so very Australian that there were, you know, people that basically were like he's too Australian. Like we're not all like yeah. that. Or <laughs> he's too Australian. It's like easy. So Steve was born to loving couple Lynn and Bob Irwin. Steve's parents were both animal enthusiasts who often brought injured animals back to the house to rehabilitate. These injured animals included birds, kangaroos, and some of the most venomous snakes in the world. According to the Steve Irwin lore, there was not a single room in the Irwin home that did not serve as a shelter for every type of animal the Australian wilderness had to offer. The Irwins moved to Queensland in 1970, where Steve attended public school. The entirety of his childhood and teenage years was heavily peppered with memories of his mother and father rescuing animals. He even referred to his mother as the Mother Teresa of Wildlife Rescue. And like... I mean, it's fucking crazy to me, A, to, like, just not be afraid of, like, every animal on the planet. Like, I'm, like, nervous around mice and rats. And this guy's like, mm-hmm. look at the size of this fucking tarantula that's, like, seriously like an octopus. And I, I'm just going to pick it up. Or, like, oh, mm-hmm. 
I'm like, here's a fucking crocodile. Let's wrap my fucking arms around this shit. Like to yeah. to be so unafraid is crazy. But yeah, also it's, to keep them in your home, it's just fucking nuts. Like it reminds me of the show Animal Hoarders. It's also just crazy to imagine a family where everyone just is into the same shit. Right. Oh and man. And just be like, we're all we're all like we all love doing the same thing and just can you imagine you know? he just has like a goth like little brother who's just like, yeah, animals, cool. And then he like goes yeah, back to his room. I just want to blow them up with firecrackers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Jesus. No, that's what I mean. Is it was like, yeah, your parents are into animals, and so is their offspring. There we go. And, yeah, they're uh, yeah, because you don't then, call it children. Like when you're that into animals, you have offspring. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you don't even call it. You're like, oh, my cubs, mate. Um, my cubs. Yeah. Not long after their move to Queensland, Bob Irwin brought his vision of a sanctuary at which he could properly care for some of the world's most overlooked creatures into reality. And he opened a, by all descriptions, quaint reptile park. Like a roadside reptile park, like a gator farm kind of a deal is like what mm -hmm. I'm imagining it like. And then that, of course, would grow, but we're not there yet. Uh, it was called the Beer Wall Reptile and Fauna Park, and it had snakes, lizards, crocodiles. They later renamed it the Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park. Um, I love that flora and fauna, like just like those words, like that's so much better than like reptile and animal park. It's like, let's church it up right. a little bit. You know? <laughs> The Church of Science. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That and and uh, for instance, yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about Tiger King. This Tiger King. This was not. This was. This is. I think probably what. Uh, what's his face? Joe Exotic. You know, well, was hoping to create. I would say. Yeah. I mean, eventually, but I would say at this start, like, like I said, they were, they were like a gator farm. So it's like rickety. They all built it themselves. Like they cared for the animals sure, themselves, sure. but it was all reptiles. So it was probably pretty shoddy. And I'm sure like a lot of the reptiles that they like rescued and brought there had escaped from there. <laughs> they had to like bring them back. Sure. Sure. But, but they had, they, they had, perseverance and dedication yes and they actually really cared about the animals like the money went into being able to house them because in australia there's so many of these fucked up animals i'm just gonna i'm calling them fucked up animals i don't care i don't have the same <laughs> love for these snakes and shit like this guy does um but there's so many of them that like it's like you just go out with your buddies with like a fucking club and just like see how many you can like bang on the head and kill you know and he's like oh it's not right they're beautiful creatures so it was at right. this reptile park that a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Steve Irwin discovered his life's purpose. At six years old, as the legend goes, Steve caught his first venomous snake, a common brown. It was actually two, according to his father. He caught two, one in each hand, and said famously, Look, I've got one! And his dad was like, You have two, and holy fuck, like, th like you don't mm -hmm. touch those. Um and he was oftentimes late to school after begging his mother to pull over so they could rescue reptiles from the road. And also at the age of six, he was gifted a 12-foot python. And at age nine, under his father's supervision, Steve wrestled his first crocodile. Yeah. That's fucking so, nuts. That is nuts. And uh, this story of the snake that he held at age six is kind of something that... Yeah, it's very much part of the lore. Uh, I watched. That's like there's, Batman's there's parents getting killed, but for Steve Irwin. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah I mean, well. it's almost like 
But it, well, well, not Batman's parents getting killed. It's almost like biblical, like, and then he was chosen, right? You know, because basically he was so young and he grabbed the snake and his. And this is according to him. There's quite a few interviews of him recounting the story. And basically his dad, you know, freaked out, ran over, got the snakes from him. And then according to Steve Irwin, it was only months later that he was kind of still pondering, like, how did little Steve hold those snakes and not get bitten? Yeah. And it was kind of this like slow burn of like, wow, like he must also have it. You know, like he was blessed by the... He he was chosen by the animal by the reptile kingdom. overlords, the reptilian yeah. overlords. Yeah. yeah, yes, that like you you will also be part of this family of wild animal handlers. Maybe that's why the so. reptilian overlords were able to take over Hollywood and the government uh, so easily. It was it was only after Steve Irwin, Steve the one man who could have wrangled them. You know. Mm. Uh, also, let me just say the common brown snake is the second most venomous snake in the world. But Australia has so many fucked up animals that to them there's like, oh, it's a common brown. But like It's just common. Yeah, it's just common. <laughs> like, oh, it's a common brown yeah. snake. Like I would call that shit like the holy fuck, don't get anywhere near it, like Essicus or whatever the fuck you throw yeah. on the Latin end of an animal name. Um also I guess part of the Australian thing is like besides like Australia and like Great Britain and then just different parts of America. Uh, it's one of the accents that white people can do without really any fear of retribution. Right. You know, like you're not, no one's going to get mad if you do. An, because really the thing is, is everyone loves to do accents. Sure. But there's some, sometimes when you do an accent, <laughs> it might not be received so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but we you love can do doing the Australian- accents, but those people that we're imitating hate it. but you can do an australian accent pretty much 99 percent of the time and i mean i don't know you could probably piss off an australian if you're obnoxious enough with it oh well sure i mean i'm not about to go over there and fucking walk into some fucking outback (laughs) bar and be like why is there pista in the dog bowl you know what i mean like i don't know if you've seen that video but if an australian comes over here they're gonna get it yeah yeah Well, yeah, a fucking course, or they just like get fucking mad laid because everyone loves an accent. So throughout his teenage <laughs> years, Steve spent his time at the reptile park, learning the ins and outs of the business. When he wasn't working at the park, he traveled to remote parts of Queensland where he would rescue countless reptiles from their inevitable fate at the hands of poachers. Steve's whole mission began or became protecting animals from poachers, primarily the reptiles that were killed for sport or for the skin trade. Uh, That makes it sound way sexier than it is. During this time, he developed many techniques of reptile capture that are still widely utilized by wildlife experts to this day. Like, they're just winging it because so many of these animals no one fucked with unless you were a poacher that maybe had, like, a six Stetson with, like, fucking reptile teeth around the brim and... uh, Mm -hmm. You know, like a leather vest with no shirt on and like an old double barreled shotgun. Like those who were dealing those are the guys dealing with reptiles. It's it's easy to romanticize because you have just also Australia is this massive country that really has this like extremely brutal landscape and all these dangerous animals. So if anyone has sort of that kind of daredevil adventurous sense to them, it really stokes the imagination of like 
oh, oh like totally. this whole country this country wants to kill you you know yeah yeah it's eating me alive mate and that's kind of wake and fright in a nutshell the, the film yeah um except beer is trying to kill you uh also really quick <laughs> about his first crocodile hunt he goes out with his dad it's nighttime and uh he's nine years old he's in this dinghy and they see one and it's like at a size that like his dad felt steve could handle so he's like that's yours mate like get it Steve jumps into the water, wraps himself around this thing the way his dad taught him. But like crocodiles and alligators, they both do like a death roll kind of a thing when they capture your prey or their prey or whatever. Where they start spinning under the water and that's happening. But Steve's hanging onto it and his dad basically reaches in and grabs Steve by the collar of his shirt and pulls him out. And Steve has the crocodile and like a star was born. I mean, of all the of all of these creatures, I mean, the crocodile is by far the most terrifying i mean spiders and snakes are very scary in the way that they just the way they move is so unnatural to me that they're very it's so it's so icky but i mean crocodiles are just that's just fucked up yeah well they're dinosaurs and they're fucking huge yeah they're fucking huge They'll go. They'll go for you. Yeah, they'll go for it. Yeah, I could probably outrun one, um, but like, for like, a, like <laughs> I doubt it. Like a second, dude. Like a second. <laughs> I don't Come know, on, man. Dude. They're fast. They're fast. They're fast. They're fast. But dude. like, okay, you're right. Fuck it. Well, that- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not endorsing that Ryan can outrun a crocodile. Yeah, I'm the crocodile outrunner, dude. Like, not even the not the hunter. So in 1991, he took over as the park's manager. And it was October of that same year that Steve met Terry Raines, an American tourist visiting the park. Less than a year later, in June of 1992, the two married in Eugene, Oregon. Steve had found his soulmate. But rather than taking a traditional honeymoon, the couple decided to head out on a filming excursion to document Steve's reptile rescues. Not the kind of honeymoon video you would expect to be filming, but still pretty damn sexy. No no <laughs> Pam and Tommy. Yeah, no, uh, it's honeymoon. Steve and Terry. Um, Steve and Terry. Uh, I got to say again, so most of my research just involved watching interviews and uh, I just got to, you know, I got to drive home. This guy is so like lust for life. He is so enthusiastic about being alive. Like every day, he's really one of those. Well, I guess every day, every day when you almost fucking fucking die, you'll probably feel that way. But even his description of meeting his wife, Terry, I mean, there's something so wholesome about it where it's just like, beauty. Yeah, he's just like Ma Sheila, and he's just like he just he's just like I knew I knew it I knew it from the first time I laid eyes on her, you know you got that story of just like love at first sight. You've got these two parents that completely support him one hundred percent in his endeavors, and that they also happen to be the same thing that they love and support. Yeah. You know, like it's such a it is extremely wholesome in terms of just like you know your classic like sort of oh this is what. I feel like this is what people think when they start a family. Yeah. Is like, well, oh, my 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 child will love what I do and do the same thing and then they'll just fall right in love and start their own family. Yeah. You know? And it happened. <laughs> and because it's going so well, you know that something fucked up has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the fucked up thing. Also, it's interesting, Steve and Terry didn't wear wedding rings because they were insatiable swingers. 
No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, they didn't wear wedding rings because <laughs> <laughs> because they, of the potential harm that a ring could cause to animals when handling them. Like she didn't want to have like a diamond ring on and like accidentally like slice open a fucking Croc's fucking guts, you know. Um, and Terry, wow. she was incredibly hands on. Like she's in so many episodes of the Crocodile Hunter. Like, like he like Steve's just like got some fucked up like sea snake. And he's like, Terry, get in here. And she's like, okay. And just like jumps in the water too. Like and also yeah. they dress the same. Like normally that would be annoying. Yeah. Like fucking like I'm hers. Like she's you know blah blah blah. But no, they like Steve always wore. It's classic. You guys know at home the fucking tiny beige shorts and and the beige shirt. That's the khaki. The, yeah, the, just the khaki everything. And she wore the same deal. Um, it, it's pretty yeah. amazing. And yeah, she was his constant companion pretty much throughout his entire career. Now, the footage that Steve and Terry filmed on their would-be honeymoon served as the first installments of the long-running revolutionary nature series, The Crocodile Hunter. Now, The Crocodile Hunter first aired in Australia in 1992 and was an instant success. Essentially, they filmed like a 10-hour special. That was a miniseries. And then everyone loved it so much that they're like, nope, this is becoming a full-on show. Crocodile Hunter is born. The show's success was not only attributed to the up-close and personal look at some of the most dangerous animals in the world, but also Steve's bubbly and infectious personality. Steve Irwin was a uniquely and entirely Australian man. Even Australian people were like, that motherfucker is Australian. And it was this down-home image that quickly transformed the humble crocodile hunter into a hometown hero for the entire continent. And, uh, I mean, again, before that, you had, like, Paul Hogan, who was Crocodile Dundee. Not the same thing. You know, oh, you call that a knife? Like, that was kind of like a – that was, like, racist almost. That was, like, well, but, like a stereotype. Well, because, I mean, he was, you know, an Australian, but he was an actor first. Right. You know? and, and you had that song, um, Land Down Under. Made yeah, me a so Vegemite sandwich. He's definitely not – I don't – I don't know that song. <laughs> you don't know that um, song? He came from a land down under? Oh, wait. Was that? I didn't realize that was in related to Crocodile Dundee, though. Was it? I think it was in it. It's got to be at least in one. Okay. Oh. If there's never been an Australian based fucking movie that you, that like, no one ever didn't used Land use Down that Under. Song? It right, was right, the fruit right. just so low that no one could see it. Like, what the fuck? But, yeah. It, anyways. After several years of strictly Australian airtime, the Crocodile Hunter finally made its way to the States in 1996. And before Steve Irwin, we had a guy like Jim Fowler. He would appear on Carson all the time. It's like, we're bringing out our friend Jim Fowler. And there was nature specials and shit, you know, and we had guys. But they weren't like, like, you would see them just on Tonight Shows. Like, no one really gave a shit about him as like an icon kind of type you know it was it was something you would right, grow up with and right. be like, oh i remember him from carson but he wasn't like his own entity in the same way and then of course we right. had siegfried and roy you know as like animal handling experts but that's obviously on like <laughs> of comparing an alien to like a, a fucking human at this point very but, different very, and that was very american in the like the vegas i mean i know that they also sorry i know that they were also very european but I feel like part of their success with Vegas right. became, you know, there was something very American about that. A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, it was very much, sorry. And, you know, it was European, but it was very much about that controlled environment. Yes. Of bringing them to a stage 
and Steve is like, he's going to them. He's, he's going, going to them. To, to the, yeah, yeah, right <laughs> to, to the, the Coleman Browns, mate. I'm doing the worst <laughs> impression, and I'm not going to stop because it's already. I'm already. Yeah, because in too we deep. already we're already cleared. I'm already in too <laughs> deep, to dude. Do it. But what? But my point is, is usually someone like Steve Irwin would have just been reserved for like late night shows or like live shows at like a zoo or something, but never were they like a globe trotting fucking mega celebrity. That's the deal. Now we're here at the rise of the reptilian overlord, but not in like a QAnon way. So Steve Irwin quickly became an icon in America and the UK. Each episode of his show boasted more and more daring excursions and encounters with increasingly dangerous creatures. But Irwin did not just focus on reptiles. He also swam with sharks, rescued mammals, and interacted with birds. Soon after Irwin's rise to the top, the Discovery Channel and Animal Planet began releasing other shows to compete, each one emulating the crocodile hunter but not quite hitting the mark. It seemed as though Steve had a monopoly on the animal guy market. Like, I remember Jeff Corwin. Mm -hmm would be another one he yeah. came out and he was like a little more like like whoa this this uh elephant's like wrapping his nerd. trunk around me like hey i said i had peanuts like kind of a uh -huh, like, deal uh -huh. but it wasn't it was it wasn't the same thing i mean i remember my dad being like oh he's on he's on like yelling to like the family he's like you gotta see this guy because yeah like while steve Irwin obviously up until this time had a lifetime of doing this to just jump into his show without knowing anything about him. You're just seeing a guy like reach his hand into a hole in the ground and pull out something. This bloke could have enough venom in one bite to kill a hundred blokes my size. He had extreme confidence and then he yeah. also, he just naturally had the charisma for the camera. Like it translated perfectly. You know, there wasn't a lot right. of training. He just was really good at being a host without really having any kind of sort of entertainment background. He just, I mean, other than, you know, it, the what's inherent in just running the business from an early age and knowing that there are little things that you can do to make, you know, an audience, you know, more intrigued, but still just for the TV. I mean, there's just, he was a natural talent, baby. You know, he just, he just well, went, yeah. he just did it. Yeah, I mean, and he also, I mean, he was in charge of everyone's safety too, like, like the whole thing was like, it's not like Steve Irwin had a crew of guys like watching after Steve Irwin, like Steve Irwin was watching after his crew of guys filming him. So like, well, there's right. so many times where he's like, Oh mate, watch out behind you. And the camera will swing around and like the guy almost got bit himself, you know? And again, right. like these, like I'm always, it always blows my mind when I watch anything about like venomous snakes or like any venomous animal. And they're like, yeah, like this will fucking kill you. But, like, the amount of venom it, that's going in you is enough to kill, like, a shitload of people. Like, so there's no... A shitload of you. Yeah, a shit, yeah shitloads <laughs> yeah. of you. And uh, yeah. the, the show yeah. aired eventually. It aired in uh, over 150 countries and reached over 500 million viewers. Yeah, it blew up. It blew up because, again, yeah, he has, he has something that's very rugged and wild and adventurous but he's also at his core like a very wholesome person he's a please so he and thank you guy this, he has all this kind of from you know what is it from nine to ninety the the family appeal right but then he's also doing some shit that you absolutely would not do sitting you're at you're sitting on your couch on your tv yeah. and you're not about to do it so it's that perfect blend of something that you just absolutely 
is inaccessible to you as the viewer and also so friendly and relatable as a human. Did you see that clip where he got bit like on the face while he's on a, like a talk show and they're just like, oh, and, that- and he's just like, it's okay. Don't worry. And he just like kind of handles it. Is that it the like- one where he's getting squeezed around the neck? I think. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a really, there's a really famous, too. there's a really famous like early nineties one. It's still in Australia. And uh, yeah, this he's 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 on a talk show and he's got the snake, um, and the snake just starts squeezing his neck. And I'm making hand gestures like you can see. Oh, I know it's um, yeah. I we saw should, that we'll one post. Too. And he starts squeezing him, and he's just kind of very calmly. Yeah, the snake is it's squeezing me more and more, and he kind of and you're just watching it lot, you know. And that I think that also helped kind of blo- you know it was like wow, like he just almost right. got choked out on TV, and he's so calmly. Got himself, got himself out know, of that. De- shit. De-escalated the I situation. I would have bitten through that snake. I would have, I would have <laughs> bitten it like a fucking laffy taffy. Like I would have just snapped into that slim gym and tried to save my own life. <laughs> but also, I mean, like that's the other thing about Steve Irwin. It's not like he got away unscathed all the time. Like he almost lost his fucking hand once to a crocodile bite. He's been bit by all kinds of stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, we're well, we're not quite there yet. So besides his own right. show, Steve made regular appearances on late night shows where he not only brought out animals, but was featured as a guest just on his own. Like people just wanted to talk to this guy. He didn't have to bring out a bunch of shit like, you know, animal handling late night right. personalities in the past had. People just wanted to talk to this guy because they liked him so much. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. Yeah. He, he was also parodied on one of the earliest episodes of South Park. I believe it was in like the second season. And the whole joke was like, they're all watching him. And then Carvin like starts getting into it. And it's like, like, but they make Steve Irwin be like, I'm going to stick my thumb up his butthole. And like, that's the whole okay. joke. It's like, oh, here he is. Now it's time to put my thumb in his butthole. And like, <laughs> that's the, the whole deal. Yeah. But yeah, he was on like Conan and like Letterman and Jay oh, Leno. Everything. I don't know. Larry King. I don't know if exactly the the time. Yeah, but then his whole thing. Yeah, I, I remember also watching. Um, I think it was Conan, and so his whole thing is he just brings out more and more, you know, right. animals. Well, he and also so then, he would visit. Like yeah. I saw one where um, it's like U.S. Rangers or something, and he's like doing like a kind of like a visiting the troops entertainment thing, but he frames it as like, well, I'm going to train you to handle these animals. And like, he has all sorts of jokes that, you know, like are in his back pocket and like everyone just loves him. He's like, but you think I'm tough. You're the toughest blokes in the world. And like, you know, and everyone Mm -hmm. loved him. Like he was an actual entertainer, which is why, what I think is one of the big differences because yeah, he would go and do like live shows for like the troops and stuff, like a co- like a comedian would or a fucking yes. you know wrestler would or something. So as right. his success in show business grew, so did his aspirations for his family's wildlife park. After his father retired, Steve took over and renamed the reptile park the Australian Zoo in 1998. Only someone as famous as Steve Irwin can just like deem his fucking zoo the Australian Zoo. The Australian Zoo, you yeah. Know? Now, despite his incredibly busy schedule, Steve always made the zoo his priority. Uh, his daughter, by the way, we haven't. Uh, she was born in uh, in 1998, that same year. Uh, her name is Bindi and Sue, and family. Bindi, was, yeah, yeah, Bindi was a huge deal, like you know, in his life. Family was like we've said this whole time. Family is the biggest deal in Steve Irwin's life, and he would regularly include his kids in his show as well as his live performances at the zoo. And we'll talk about one in particular in just a moment. 
Steve always practiced what he preached. While he did run a zoo that featured live performances, something animal rights activists have always taken issue with, he also founded several environmental protection programs such as the Steve Irwin Conservation Foundation, the International Crocodile Rescue, the Lynn Irwin Memorial Fund, which was named after his mother who died in a car accident in 2000. This is one of those deaths that mm-hmm. I fucking hate where it's like yeah, mm-hmm. you go your whole life capturing some of the most venomous snakes ever and animals and keeping them in your fucking house and then you die in a car accident you know it's yes. like god damn it right so uh, right. He also but again his, i yeah. will sorry i just wanted to also say again like just kind of in admiration of his ability as sort of a communicator as someone who can you know he when when steve Irwin talks about his mother's death he just you know it's just some of those people like they just say it in a way that you feel it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, you just feel it. And of course, like your mother dying in a car accident is incredibly tragic, but he just kind of puts it into this, his story in such a way that, you know, really if it's like if a politician was saying it, you would feel so you would feel cynical almost about yeah. like it was too <laughs> it's too good. It's too good. It's too perfect. But with him, you, you just you just like him that much more for his just the yeah. way he expresses it makes the it love seem and the sadder sorrow. than if it happened to you, you know. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but also, <laughs> there's something about like maybe it has to do with like the childlike twang of an of a heavy Australian accent, where you're just like, <laughs> oh, you poor grown man, little boy, you're like right, that's so right. terrible. But uh, he founded uh, also the Iron Bark Station Wildlife Rehabilitation Facility. This is like millions of dollars worth of like environmental stuff, by the way. Like it's like I'm naming yes. them off like they're nothing. Each one of these costs tons and tons and tons of money. Um, right. Because part of his thing is the moment, you know, he cared deeply about these animals and the moment and he even as he got very rich and successful, I mean, I think I found this quote. He's like, I've had heaps of money. Heaps and what do of I money, do with mate. it? What do I do with it? I just put it right back in. And like, obviously, I'm sure he, you know, lived well. But I think that was part of his thing is he, he immediately started taking his fame to be like, we have to preserve wildlife. We have to preserve these these lands, you know, these yeah. natural lands. And so, you know, he's just extremely about. Steve Irwin is about that Steve Irwin life. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Absolutely. Dude, like, like if he, all like, <laughs> the fucking way. <laughs> I wonder, though, like how well he did live, though. Like if he had a cribs, if he's like, this is the closet. And it's like a giant walk-in closet with those cool cribs edits. But it's just like rows and rows of khakis and hiking boots. Like that's well, like. Well, <laughs> he did. No. And actually, I, he said that, too. He um, he he had, you know, probably like a hundred pairs of the same outfit. He just he just had like I'm pretty sure that was most of his outfit. It's so fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, and he would always wear it everywhere. Like, man, yeah, he just really had that knack. God damn, we really lost a good one. So in 2001, Steve had a cameo in the unforgettable cinema masterpiece Doctor Doolittle Two, and in 2002, he starred in his own movie, The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, which raked in 33 million dollars off of a 12 million dollar budget. Did you watch this? No, uh, I did not watch Collision Course. Did you watch it? Yes. Well, I watched like was, until I couldn't. But um, you said it was really bad. Uh, essentially, what it is. Well, first of all, it's like made for kids. But what it is is there is like like some kind of like 
nuclear chip or like satellite piece or something that gets lost in the wilderness of Australia and a crocodile hunter chop or a crocodile chops down on it. And uh, oh, all the perfect. while Steve's doing his show. So the movie, it's kind of like, um, like it's kind of like Jackass, like as a movie in a way where it's just like, Oh, this, he's just doing the bit of like, he's, he's like doing his normal crocodile hunter thing. But then interwoven, there's like actual movie stuff where it's like, right. you know, unlike and that's probably movie. bad because that's some, you know, yeah, he did then, get because poachers come to try and track down this, like, piece of technology that this crocodile ate and Steve Irwin just sees it as like, Oh, they're trying to kill this croc. Right. So he has to like foil so, the plan. Right. Right. And so, I mean, and that, that, because basically at this point he is so popular that, you know, yeah, basically at some point you reach, I mean, this is probably like a dumb thing, but like at some point you reach a popularity where like, then it's Hollywood, right? Yeah. You, you get, <laughs> yeah. Like then Hollywood wants a piece of you. Um, at this point also, he ha he's he described that you know and he was popular in Australia, but not to the degree that he was in the United States. And he uh, he said that when he would come and make appearances in the U.S., he would have to have like bodyguards. He would have to have. Uh, oh wait, let me <laughs> real quick. Body, I, I, I had some food delivery. I, I thought, thought they they you get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. So, yeah, he was saying how he would have uh, bodyguards, you know, special vehicle convoys. I think at some point he even had uh, doubles as like decoy doubles who would dress like him. Because when he, <laughs> wherever would they find the kind of clothes that Steve Irwin wears? <laughs> they could definitely find the clothes. And I, I, but yeah, basically he was just such, he was so popular in the U S and he had this like fandom. And I think it kind of freaked him out a little bit. Probably. But, but also, I mean, he would do, well, Okay, so that's interesting because, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really consider how much bigger he was over here because, yeah, he was doing like the movies and stuff. But in Australia, his family had always had that park and he changed it to the Australia Zoo, which is fucking massive. It's like SeaWorld for fucking reptiles, but even bigger. And he would right. do his own live shows like you could go to Australia and see him do a show. And because of that, he was so instrumental in boosting Australian tourism that he was given yes. like a lot of kudos from the government and like paid as like an ambassador and stuff. Cause he was bringing all this interest to there and like, he would sell, I mean, his uh, little arena, there'd be like thousands of people there and he would have fucking huge birds land on them and like deal with crocs and all that stuff. Uh, actually, this is a good right. point to get to this. So they had a son he, he, in 2003, they gave, uh, Terry gave birth to Robert and uh, it was with his son that at, at one of the um, like crocodile fucking hunter live shows, Steve was holding baby robert while feeding yes. a croc mm -hmm. and he came under mm -hmm. fire for some for for that baby the other other weight meat so he was holding so he was holding because this is basically his michael jackson uh dangling was it paris uh, jackson Be belgium was it belgium or berlin i can't remember i think it was belgium but uh the thing is it, though I thought it 
Wait, no, but Paris was the name of the oh, child. Oh, the baby. No, well, no, it was yeah. Blanket. No, no, it was Blanket. Oh, Blanket, duh. Right, right, right. Yeah, because yeah, they're like, you there's a blanket on it, and it's a baby <laughs> like, blanket. There's yeah. Belgium Jackson, there's Berlin Jackson. Dude, maybe Michael um, Jackson didn't even realize he was holding a baby because he was so fucked up that he's like, no, it's Blanket. It's just it's just a blanket. It like, is the baby's a blanket. Name is blanket. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is but this is sort of Steve's moment because now and part of this is because at this point in 2004, I mean, this is like the peak of his of Steve Irwin's popularity. And so, yes, you can find these pictures of him. Uh, basically, he's got, I mean, he's got his kid in one arm. <laughs> he's feeding a crocodile, uh, crocodile in the other. Well, that's like everyday um, shit for him. You know, he like it he is was everyday that baby shit for before. him. But but what I mean is that then at this point, and I mean we're obviously Team Steve. Um, you know, at some point, it's you know people are going to look for these things, and of course, as we found with Siegfried and Roy, with animals, there's always going to be sort of this special attention to like, how are they going to fuck up? How are they going to do something controversial, specifically with animals, endangering yeah. the animals or endangering human lives? Um, and so Irwin's response, he went on. I th- I think this was Larry King, and he said, uh, you know. They, oh, they had the camera. Mate. Well, well, no, he says that, but also his his thing was that basically the camera angles made it look like the crocodile was much closer than he really the crocodile was. Right. So there was and but basically, you know, and to his I guess to his defense is that, you know, the I guess like the government, you know, anyone who would be in charge of like child endangerment, like there was no charges pressed. Right. It yeah. was mainly like just this press thing, but it did catch fire and it really did, you know, make it, you know, make its rounds. I mean, to me watching the video, he's really fucking close to the crocodile. <laughs> um, but okay. I'll say this and, though, uh, when you compare it to the Michael Jackson, like balcony thing, the, yeah. the fucking baby in Steve Irwin's arms, like within like a crocodile mouse's reach of becoming lunch, is safer than the baby being dangled off a balcony by Michael Jackson. True. Like, I and think I mean, I, I think that baby was safer than fucking Blanket was being well, held over also, a balcony. And Steve Irwin is a professional who deals with crocodiles. Michael Jackson's a professional singer. Michael Jackson's not a professional baby dangler. You know? <laughs> so, like, it's, it's not in Michael Jackson's skill set to be. Dangling babies. Dangling babies. babies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Also, though, I'll say this, though. You know, for as great as Steve Irwin was, and he was so successful, he really was probably the world's shittiest crocodile hunter. I mean, he didn't fucking kill a single one. Like, oh. he's literally the worst <laughs> crocodile hunter fucking ever. But yet, he gets to be called the crocodile. There's probably some poacher who's sitting on a fucking crocodile skin couch with, like, shoes on that are slippers made from baby crocodiles. And he's just like, fucking crocodile hunter, my fucking ass, mate. He didn't, yeah, he didn't kill any crocs. Yeah. So, that's, so, a, good, that's a good point. <laughs> the growth of his family did not slow the crocodile hunter down one bit. He continued to put out episodes of the Crocodile Hunter regularly and also, as I said earlier, became somewhat of a spokesperson for Australian tourism. In 2004, while filming his show, Steve and his crew paused filming to aid in a search and rescue mission for two lost divers. And Steve and his team actually found one of the divers and brought them to safety. The other one was later found dead, bopping around in the water. Um, 
There were plans to open several Steve Irwin-sponsored zoos in different locations around the world, starting with Las Vegas. Like, really fucking giving uh, Secret Roy a run for their money. Um, But an unforeseen tragedy would derail those plans. I dubbed this section out of fucking nowhere. So on September 4th, 2006, Steve was filming a new special in the Great Barrier Reef. During one of the underwater sequences, the barb of a short tail stingray pierced Steve's chest, killing him shortly after. His final words, I'm dying, mate. That is oh, fucking <laughs> so brutal. Literally what he said. Like, yeah. I, I'm so fascinated by, by last words because usually it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, but um, like to actually have, he threw a, you know, through a mate. Uh, threw a mate in there he, just to keep everyone <laughs> calm you know like he, like he didn't yeah, go crikey but he knew but also yeah, we didn't even but, talk um, about that like before we like really kind of get get sad here fucking like steve Irwin, like he like how paris hilton has that's hot he had danger 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 and he had what a beauty and most mm-hmm. famously crikey which was literally like like a new word attributed to him like, it's fucking yeah. crazy. But, yeah, he didn't say crikey, which was everyone's big joke. He said, I'm dying, mate. As news spread yeah. of the tragic death of one of the world's most beloved celebrities, the overall reaction seemed to be, he died from what? It was unimaginable that the man who spent his entire life chasing down the most dangerous animals in the world would be taken down by such an unlikely culprit. Short tail stingrays are incredibly dangerous, obviously. Yeah, yeah, they're very dangerous. Obviously, I mean, they fucking took Steve Irwin down. But they're certainly not the first animal that comes to mind when you think of a man killer or one that would take down someone that wrestles fucking the most venomous snakes in the world and wrestles crocodiles and shit. I actually remember when news broke of this. It was nighttime, and I was I driving too. with my friends in high school. I was with my friend uh, Mel, who was driving, and Brooke. I know both of you listen to the show, so you will remember this. And you know how, like, you have, like, you'll see people's like reaction when a celebrity dies sometimes on the internet, and you're like, damn, like, like I didn't, like, why do you give a shit so much? Like, you didn't know them. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. It's sad. Mm-hmm. This was the first time in my life that I saw someone cry over the death of a celebrity. And honestly, it's the only oh, one that wow. I think still kind of holds water. Cause, like, it was Steve Irwin and we were so young. But yeah, Brooke, like, I remember tears coming down her face and I was like, are you okay? And she just says, he had kids. But, um, while I, <laughs> while I'm telling yeah. this incredibly, um, and, and embarrassing and story, and he was, I think that he was filming. I think that this was for his daughter. His daughter had a show, Bindi, Bindi the Jungle Girl. Oh my god! <laughs> and so I think he was. Can you say that? Uh, you could then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, I guess that show ended abruptly. <laughs> no shit. Um, but yeah, but part of it was that I mean, yes, the stingray. You know, part of it was that because it penetrated like it went into his heart i mean you could get stung many other places but it stung him right in his fucking heart got him dude got him him. (laughs) him. (laughs) him. (laughs) 
Like, so, so brutal. So underneath the global outpour of sympathy and support was a dark comedic lining. Halloween costumes based on the tragedy were that year's most looked down upon, yet most common bad taste costume. And Steve made yet another appearance on South Park, which kind of was about the costumes. Like that, that episode, Satan's throwing a fucking costume party. And you have to be in costume. And Steve Irwin shows up, and they're like, oh, come on, man. Like, it's a little too soon right. for that costume. He's like, no, I'm Steve Irwin. They're like, oh, sorry, dude. You got to have a costume. You can't come in. But um, there were, and there, I think there was an element because, um, yeah, I guess there's kind of that thing when you deal with dangerous stuff, when you die of the danger. Yeah. There is going to always be that sort of public, like, well, you were kind of literally doing dangerous shit all the time yes um so on one hand the uh cynical person is gonna be like oh well they asked for it they that's what they get and the more optimistic person is like well he died actually doing the thing he loved doing yeah that we loved watching him do and and in some ways i also feel like yes there is the dark comedy to it and there's also kind of the like yeah but i think in some ways i feel like he would have you know, if you believe in an afterlife, like he's not too mad about it. Right. Wherever his well, soul is, he's like, because, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. He dodged, he probably dodged death a thousand times before then. A hundred percent. You know? Dude, uh, yes. So. Um, dude, totally. Uh, yeah, I would say, and if you want to get really sad, I would say that the um, thing that Steve Irwin hates the most about the afterlife is not having his wife and kids, mate. Um, True. But uh, yeah, Bill Maher famously wore a Steve Irwin costume that year and got a ton of backlash for it because everyone loves Steve Irwin. You know what I mean? No one wanted to fucking. Yeah. Sit, like, and everyone loves know. Bill Maher just just slightly less, just a little <laughs> yeah, less. Yeah, just a Steve little Irwin. bit less. Yeah, <laughs> just Steve Irwin here, Bill Maher just right um, underneath. Now, but yeah, now I'm looking at these costumes. Yeah, wow, there was just a bunch of <laughs> yeah, a and, lot of. Well, also, also because it's yeah, I mean, is it's really easy. You just wear fucking khakis. And then you put blood in your on your chest. Yeah, you're like you're like I'm Steve Irwin now. You know what's funny? I was uh, so I was doing all this research, and then I went to this like fucking bachelor party over the weekend, and there was a pool, and I like I have these floaties, you know, like big pool floaties, and one of them is literally a giant stingray, and I was like, oh, I'll bring that to this fucking party. And then I like did all. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to fucking look at a goddamn stingray. So I'm not even gonna bring mm-hmm. it because, like, you know, with all the fucking bad out of taste respect jokes, I, I watch me accidentally get impaled on a floaty somehow of a stingray for making fun of Steve Irwin. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like somehow Ryan Lichten dies from getting stabbed by a floaty. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck, mate? My last words. Uh, Now, Steve Irwin's funeral was highly publicized and millions of people around the world heard the heart-wrenching speech from his wife and daughter who shared their adoration for their husband and their father. It is, I mean, when you watch, like, I mean, any fucking funeral obviously if the fucking child is going to speak it's going to be the worst thing ever but this one because again they were just they were just so sweet steve Irwin was just so sweet and endearing yes. that it really really fucking hits differently and it's incredibly sad i don't even know if we should play a clip but if we do it'll go right here I have the best daddy in the whole world, and I will miss him every day. When I see a crocodile, I will always think of him, and I know that daddy made this zoo so everyone could come and learn to love 
all the animals. The producer of The Crocodile Hunter, John Staten, gave interviews to the press in which he described a final eerie speech Steve gave to his crew, which would serve as an unintentional farewell speech, during which he thanked everyone for all they did for him and for animal awareness. Almost like... Like, right. And that's like, like he's on the boat. They're about to start filming. He's like got his dive stuff on. Just want to thank you guys for everything you've ever done for me. You've been there from the beginning, blah, blah, blah. We've done so much help. Like we've done so much good for animals. And I just want to thank you. Goes in the water. That's it. Like, well, yes, but and, I, you um, know, I it's obviously not like a fucking premonition or some shit. It's just like, that's just happened to be what no. happened, you know? I think people say, I think that's what happens is that people are kind of always saying things that, and then once something so big, like a, you know, a death happens, then you can always kind of go back and, um, you know, interpret that. But I don't, I don't think he had a premonition of his death. It's different if someone is going to, you know, if someone commits suicide or something, then of course, if that's on their mind, then yes, they might, their words before might have a premonition. But I think that, I'm sure I think Steve Irwin probably always had some sort of concept of like, you know, the shit I'm doing is dangerous and I could die. So I'm sure he's always kind of peppering a little bit of that in in some way and just expressing his gratitude for being alive. So, you know, I don't. Yeah, I don't really buy that. Um, Also, uh, Bindi, his daughter, did uh, Well, she was interviewed by Larry King and she said that. Uh, she still loves stingrays um, because, and that she does she does not bear uh, a grudge towards stingrays. But yeah, she's like, um, uh, no, I became the stingray hunter, and I do fucking kill them. <laughs> she's like, Fuck <laughs> that. But uh, yeah. anyways, so. Without the crocodile hunter, there seemed to be a gap in nature-based entertainment. Audiences relied so heavily on Steve and his content that without him, it seemed there would never again be such a broad interest in this type of programming. However, a new style of nature documentary would become the standard, and this came in the form of BBC's 2006 series, Planet Earth. Now, Planet Earth, Huge. along with being the best thing ever to smoke weed to when you first start smoking weed, um, they relied mostly on narration. They didn't have an actual host. And that's, you know, David Antenborough or, or whatever, like who was one of Steve's biggest like heroes in life. Um, right. He was the nar- the narrator. Then they did the series Life and Oprah Winfrey narrated that. Sigourney Reavers narrated one. But what they mm-hmm. do is they have like like the cameramen are the heroes. But you never see them. And sometimes they facilitate special means of filming where they might build a shelter where they then live in this shelter for weeks. So all the wildlife gets used to seeing this mound of dirt or whatever. And then they'll Mm -hmm. start filming, you know, and like but they're they're very hidden. It's very, very calculated. There is no like, well, let's drive out here because I heard there's some shit out here and I'm just going to fucking grab it with my bare hands when I see it like those days are gone. Right, right. You know, yes. Um, it actually yeah. Terry gave a speech. Uh, it was like a lifetime achievement award for the narrator of of Planet Earth uh, that Steve was actually supposed to, or like was envisioned to have given. But she expressed how big of an inspiration that he was to Steve as a conservationist and all that. And with the rise of social media came a new wave of animal handling celebrities, some professionally trained and some not so much. But the one thing they all have in common is their underlying admiration of the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin. 
Um, one that comes to my mind is the real Tarzan. He's like this fucking Adonis, like dude covered in tattoos who does like travels around the world handling insane animals. Like, and he's ripped as fuck. You know, that guy. Um, there's also, um, I love, uh, uh, Steve's, what is it? Pre- Steve's exotic pets or, or prehistoric pets, something like that. This guy fucking runs like a reptile zoo and deals with all sorts of fucking crazy shit. I also follow a guy, Ink and Venom, who's like loves like tattoo culture, but also like keeps a bunch of snakes in his garage. That's Ink a good example of a non professional one where you're just like, dude, dude, dude. Cause like he'll like the camera will go down and he's just like barefoot and he's just got like the Tupperwares of like all these snakes, like with like uh, yeah. so fucked up. But yeah, it's like uh, that's it a is, new it thing. It is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting to think about because then now you do probably have lesser uh, celebrities, but who are also very successful in their own right via YouTube or social media. Um, and so you know, it'd be interesting to see how Steve would have fared in the social media era. It. You know, um, but he also. Kind of, yeah, he did like sort of lay a groundwork at a time where television was kind of still like this huge medium um, in terms of, you know, especially video content. Obviously, right. the internet was blowing up at the time, but it hadn't kind of reached this like ubiquitous video content era that we're in now. Um, so, well, there's also, yeah, I don't know that there's Coyote Peterson, who's like a big nature guy on the internet, and his whole thing, and there was a TV show. That was made, I think it's called like Masters of Pain, but it's kind of the same thing he does. But like these guys just go out and they're like, this is the fucking craziest goddamn wasp on the planet. Let's like right. get stung by it. And like they let themselves get right. stung or bitten by these animals. And then they just sit there like, oh yeah, this one's, this is a 10 out of 10. And it's like scoring right, a 10 right. out of 10 on the pain scale. And it's like, yeah, no All shit. S- dude. Right. And then also that reminds me of, um, Wild Boys. Oh yeah, which probably was in part. You know, the Jackass spinoff. The second which was most entertaining in- animal show after the Crocodile Hunter. I mean, Wild Boys was an incredible show. I mean, it's hard to really Manny call Quick, the culture dump. Their mentor. He's an awesome animal guy. Yeah, yeah, but I I loved that show so much. Um, totally. And that was basically. J- Jackass meets Steve Irwin, literally. A hundred percent. You know. Yeah. I mean, if you two members the new- of Jackass doing animal shit animal you know? shit yeah and they actually went all around the world like you know and and found them and all that but they still do like animal stuff and granted it's stunts like it's still kind of the closest interactions you'll see between the actual human and these super dangerous animals like when steve-o has a rattlesnake bite an inflated condom that he's holding in his butthole like there's glimmers yes. of Steve Irwin in that somehow somewhere you know where it's just like harnessing the power of nature Right. So what does it all mean? I guess it means that animals are fucking scary. No one knew that better than fucking Steve Irwin. And while he had more than his share of close calls and had tussled with the most unpredictable and dangerous animals this planet has to offer, he was not invincible. And I think somewhere along the line, we forgot that. He... Like, we as an audience took Steve for granted. It was a shock that the man dubbed the crocodile hunter would be killed by a stingray. But I think the bigger shock was the realization that we would never again hear this smiling, khaki-clad family man utter the phrase, Crikey, 
you know, ever again. The death of Steve Irwin shaped the way nature documentaries would be filmed from then on. While there are still environmental daredevils that put themselves in harm's way for educational and entertainment purposes, I think the loss of Steve taught us that there are safer ways to document the beauty of nature. But it's just not as fun. And that's what it means to me. He was the fucking man. And I remember when we first started talking about doing this episode, you're like, Steve probably could lay some pipe, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? He probably could. You know what? He's a wild, manly man. He's exuberant. He's full of energy and he loves his wife. And I feel like. She was probably that a, guy's. Ha- she yeah, she was ha- probably a happy woman. Yeah, yeah. Whether it be in the outback or on her back, you know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, we almost didn't make any jokes. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Did you save that one, or was that was that off the cuff? Oh, I, I that was just now, dude. Yeah, no. I, wow. I would never write something like that about Terry Irwin. That has to come from inside. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, that that's. That's Ryan, Ryan Lichten for y'all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ryan um, Lichten. <laughs> for better or worse, baby. <laughs> so make sure you guys follow us on Instagram at Culture Dumps. Send us emails with suggestions. Actually, the next episode of Culture Dumps is probably our most suggested dump in recent history that I, I that I can think of. So that'll be fun. Uh, and we do listen. So check that out. Also, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, patreon.com slash culture dumps. That really helps us out. But what also helps us out that doesn't cost you anything is subscribing to the show and giving us a rate, writing a review, sharing it on your social media, telling your friends about it. Listen to these fucking idiots talk about whatever, you know, that helps us out quite a bit. And we very much appreciate that. So with that being said, I'm Ryan Lichten. I've been joined by Parks Miller. Keep on dumping, mate.